1: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Film Festival Radio Show here with me, Janice Malone. And I just hope you're having a really good Saturday. If you are visiting us here in Vegas, I hope you're winning a lot of money that you can take back to your hometown and brag about how much fun Vegas is. Even if you don't win a lot of money, Vegas is still a lot of fun. So I love it. We all love it. So anyway, thank you guys for coming to visit our city. And thank you even more so for listening to us right here on Film Festival Radio Show. Okay, let's talk about guests. We have three guests here. We have uh, a young lady from The Voice. She's on Team John Legend. Her name is Kara McKee. You saw Kara last week. Yeah, you saw her. And we also have a New York Times bestselling author. His name is Adam Silvera. He has a brand new book that he'll be talking to us about. Just the book trailer alone. I think the book trailer is like 30 seconds or so, under a minute. And it's already garnered over 5 million views on social media. Just the trailer. And we also have one of the co-hosts of this really cool podcast. How many of you are familiar with House Beautiful's uh, hit podcast show called Dark House? You are familiar with that show? It's it's a hit. It's a huge huge hit. So, in honor of Halloween season, we have one of the co-hosts of Dark House on there and this is going to be a lot of fun, a lots of fun. Alyssa Florin Alyssa is joining us. So those are our three guests. And as we have time, I might be able to throw in a couple of auditions. One or two, we're going to find out and see. So before I can do that, we got to first uh, get into our first guest. So stay tuned. Hold on. We'll be right back with our first guest, Adam Silvera. So hold on.
0: Film Festival Radio with Janice Malone. We'll be right back after this.
1: Okay, our next guest is a New York Times bestselling author. His first book, They Both Die at the End, took the book world by storm and hit number one on the New York Times bestselling list. And now it is being adapted to become a television series by Chris Vanderson, who is the creator of Bridgerton. So, hey, you know that's going to be a hit. So now Adam Silvera, the author, he has a brand new book that just came out. It's a sequel to the first book, which he's done several books actually, but this one uh, was just huge. They both die at the end, was just a runaway hit. The current book is the first to die at the end and the book challenges, you know, it just kind of gives you a challenge there. Asking the readers to consider how would you spend your last day on earth if you were given the warning, your last day on the earth will be whatever date. That's the core of the book, but they have a lot of cool characters as well. So Adam is uh, on board. Let's talk to him more about his brand new book, The First to Die at the End, which is a sequel to his first big hit. They Both Die at the End. Let's bring him on board right now. Well, good morning, Adam.
0: Good morning, Janice. How are you?
1: I'm great. I am uh, sipping tea and about to start chatting with you about your current book that, I mean, it just came out less than 24 hours. Well, maybe a little bit over 24 hours ago. So uh, are you celebrating hard and heavy or what's going on?
0: I, I'm, you know, I had a wonderful launch event last night in New York city at the Barnes and Noble Union Square and uh, you know just like catch up with friends and family while i'm in town since i'm originally from here
1: oh that's a nice way to do it up well of course we are talking about the highly anticipated prequel your book is the first to die at the end so Already, I saw on Book Talk, your, the, the trailer to the book has already amassed over 5 million views. So, there is no doubt this one will also be a New York Times bestseller. So, tell us, where does the new book pick up from the previous top seller?
0: Yeah, so they both die at the end, takes place in the year 2017. And the first to die at the end is actually a prequel, so it takes place in the year 2010. So, seven years before. And it we're we're going back in time because we're going to the very first day of the Death Cast program. And Death Cast is an organization that can notify people for when they're about to die. And I wanted to see what it was like for society to integrate this new Death prediction service into their lives, and you know we're following two star-crossed lovers that weren't in the original book, and uh, and we're just watching them play out the very first end day.
1: Now, in your original book, the the heroes are killed off, as we know, with people who've read it. So, was it difficult, you know, to you know with with the current book, was it difficult to find a way, say, okay, my, my heroes are dead, so, so now what? Or how did you deal with that?
0: Yeah, you know, so I was able to bring them back in some side chapters as children. And, you know, there were some moments in They Both Die at the End where Rufus and Mateo are sharing things about their childhood to one another. And I was able to kind of like, you know, actually, make those memories into real life scenes that the reader gets to witness in this novel. Uh, but you know, this novel is actually about two new boys, Orion and Valentino, one whom gets the very first death cast call. And uh, but they do cross paths with the the narrators, Matteo and Rupitz from the original book, and uh, you know, in some pretty exciting ways.
1: You are very gifted at writing uh young adult genre novels. Uh, is that where you feel most comfortable or do you plan to delve over into maybe turning some of your last two books, especially into scripts or television series or films or what?
0: Absolutely, you know, I'm a very ambitious person. I think I wanna do um, a bit of everything. And when I started off in writing young adult fiction, I was in my early 20s, and I think I was processing a lot of the things that I had been through as a teenager. But now that I'm 32, I'm thinking about a lot of the things that I have kind of experienced through my my late 20s specifically that I think I would love to explore in more novels that are geared toward adults. But, you know, also I live in Los Angeles now and uh, learning a lot about the Hollywood industry and trying to find my voice in that as well. So, you know, I, I want to do graphic novels, I want to do scripts, I want to do adult books. I really I want to do books for younger kids as well. I, you know, I'm I'm a writer uh for sure.
1: Now, you you mentioned that uh there was there in New York, it was a big um book signing celebration at a Barnes and Noble. I understand that you once upon a time worked at a Barnes and Noble, and now you're coming back to a Barnes and Noble as this big star, superstar author. What was that like for you to come full circle like that?
0: It's really cool. I mean, you know, I, yeah. So I actually started off working at Barnes and Noble when I was 19 years old. And I got a job working in their cafe. I wanted to be a bookseller, but they didn't have any, um, you know, openings at the time. And I was like, you know, this is the foot in the door and lo and behold, while making customers frappuccinos, I was also pitching books. (laughs) Um, and you know, and eventually the managers were like, uh, yeah, we need this guy on the sales floor. Like he's amazing. (laughs) And then, you know, but it's been really cool. They've been so, um, celebratory of my success and, uh, They've had my book featured on, like, the homepage of the Barnes & Noble website, and, uh, you know, they have a really cool Barnes & Noble exclusive edition, which has really fun bonus materials um, this time around, and uh, they've been nothing but really supportive of my novels since the beginning.
1: Oh, that is so wonderful to hear. I love those types of success stories. Well, in our last couple of minutes here, uh, a part of your, your latest book, uh, the characters are, as you said earlier, notified by the death agency, I guess that's what I'm calling it, about their their upcoming death. And they have to decide how they're going to spend their last day on Earth. So I've got to ask you, the author, what would you do if you were notified that your last day on earth was what, whatever date? What would you do? What would you eat?
0: Just whatever. Yeah. Oh, man. I, yeah, I would do so much. You know, I mean, a lot of it would be really, I think, like intimate things, you know, such as like spending time with my family and my my best friends and my godchildren and making sure that. My dog is set up for success with a, you know, a a loving owner and I would write something. I don't know if it's personal. I don't know if it's like going to be something I would share with the public, but and I hope to find some fun during that day. And, uh, you know, I probably would my last meals. I would probably want to something that my mom would cook and my mom's also not like an amazing cook either but i think there's something really special about that where it's like you know my mom making my last meal since she was one who brought me into this world and and fed me for most of my life you know um i i would i would give her that gift of cookie for me one last time
1: well i think that's a very well i shouldn't say fun feel but a very ambitious busy last day on earth but you are still young you're only 32 your last day on earth we are praying that it will be many decades to come and to keep turning out those books and maybe even scripts and films and television series based on those wonderful books that you're writing so thank you adam so much for chatting and give us some backstory information about your latest book and one more thing i think i got 60 more seconds tell everybody why they need to go run out and get your latest book why
0: i think it'll just you know force you to examine your life and 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 really guide you into living more boldly and more adventurously so you don't end up on your deathbed with um any regret
1: yeah that's a i've been i've known people regrets on the deathbed that is a very sad way to leave this earth and That's a good way to end this. So thank you so much again, Adam. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you at the bookstores and everywhere else we'll find books are sold.
0: Yes, thank you so much. Lovely chatting with you. Okay,
1: take care. Bye-bye. We are back here on the show, and in honor of this being Halloween season, we have one of our many Halloween-based type guests that will be joining us. We're going to have several guests in honor of Halloween throughout the month, and I'd just like to know how many of you out there are fans of haunted houses, especially big mansions and that kind of stuff. Well, if that is the case, you probably, or at least you should be listening up because our guest here, Alyssa, is just what you need. Her show, along with her co-host, Hadley Mendelssohn, we're talking about Alyssa Florentino and Hadley Mendelssohn, both of these ladies are the host of House Beautiful's hit podcast show, Dark House. It's available on all the places where top uh, podcasts are heard, such as Apple, Spotify, Pandora, all the places. Our show is heard on all those same networks as well. I, bet you kind of already knew that. But anyway, House Beautiful's Dark House is back. This is their second season. And they are going to, second season goes all the way up until December. So what is uh, this show all about, in case if you don't know, Dark House kind of combines crime, interior design, and uh, the paranormal, yeah, the, the spooky stuff, all combined into one nice recipe here. And what they do is that they explore beautiful homes and mansions that, uh, these houses are gorgeous and all that, but but they have a past. Yeah, they've got a past, and that past is connected to sometimes murder, uh ghost, and just, just ooky, spooky altogether ooky stuff. And so what the two ladies do is that they explore these backstories about these beautiful but scary, uh, mansions and houses and stuff and find out what, you know, is, is is this stuff really true? Uh, they just look all into it. So if this is your cup of tea and your cup of coffee, you like the show. And if you have not heard it again, it's called dark house house, beautifuls, dark house. And this is a perfect time of the year to get into a show like this. And they have, uh, Man, they're they're going to explore some really cool stuff, some houses coming up. The Watcher House, uh, that's one that's going to, uh, they had part one uh, earlier this week on October 5th, but they're going to have part two on October 12th. And so anyway, we're not going to talk too much about that. Because we're going to let Alyssa go into the details. She has more of all the details about that particular episode. But again, the show is House Beautiful's Dark House, and they are they are putting some light <laughs> no pun intended uh, about the world of paranormal. Is it real? With these big beautiful mansions and houses and such. So uh, Alyssa is awaiting us to bring her on board. So we are awaiting to talk to her and find out more about this really cool show. So let's bring on Alyssa right now. Okay, listeners, we have our next guest on board here, and she is one of the first of our guests in honor of, in celebration, I should say, of Halloween. This is our first guest, and wow, what a guest she is. Alyssa Fiorentino. Alyssa, am I pronouncing your last name properly? yes okay i've been practicing by the way (laughs) so (laughs) you are one of the co-hosts of house beautiful's dark house podcast uh along with your other co-host hadley Mendelssohn. so welcome to the show and thank you for agreeing to chat with us
2: yeah thank you for having me i'm excited to talk
1: well, I've been, uh, so like so many of us out here, we love uh, House Beautiful for years and years. But now this podcast that you ladies have is a hit, Dark House, and you're on, in season two. So for those who don't know about Dark House, just give us a summary of what your show is all about.
2: For sure. So Dark House um, is a podcast. And basically in each episode, Hadley and I tell the story of a different house that is notorious or infamous for some reason or another. Um, I guess the shorter way to say it is it's a podcast about haunted houses. But um, what we try to do is we'll, we'll look at a house that's either said to be haunted or just, like I said, notorious for some other reason. Maybe it's a murder house. And then we try to figure out. What happened there? You know, what are the stories that people are telling from these houses that make people say, "Oh, it's haunted," or why it has such a bad reputation? And then by the end of it, Hadley and I will sort of reflect on whether or not we think it is haunted, or you know, how we feel about the stories that have come out of the house. Um, but there's a lot of overlap in genres to the show. Um, you know, a lot of these houses, like I said, murder houses. They have interesting backstories. There's a lot of true crime overlap. We'll get into history, of course, interior design. Um, there's some pop culture to it. So I like to think that we have a little bit something for everybody, kind of no matter what your interests are.
1: Now, uh, give us a, before we get to the current season, but just give us a, a, a list, Well, won't say a list, but some of the names of some houses that you ladies have explored in the, from previous seasons. Yeah, sure.
2: So our first season was actually, you know, we were calling it like limited series. It was only five episodes. Um, and we went over four houses last year. So that was um, the Bliska Axe Murder House in Villisca, Iowa. The Harlow Burn House It's the former home of Gene Harlow. That's in um, Benedict's Canton in Beverly Hills. And then we did the Mercer Williams House in Savannah, Georgia. And our last house, was the SK Pierce Mansion in Gardner, Massachusetts? So we try to go kind of all over the map. We want to make sure we're representing all different types of homes in all different regions across the country.
1: Now, I understand that uh, on October 5th and October 12th, you're going to have a two parter, the Watcher House, that's coming yes. up. So tell us about the Watcher House episodes. Give us a preview.
2: So I. I feel like everybody has heard a little bit about this house because it's one of the most modern stories that we're going to tell. A lot of the houses, um, you know, like I said, they're rich in history or, you know, whatever happened there that made it haunted or have a bad reputation happened decades ago. But the Watcher House, which is in Westfield, New Jersey, this happened in 2014, and um, you know it was such a big story. It was going viral. The Cut, um, New York Magazine's The Cut, did this incredible piece that really put it on the map in 2018. And then eventually Netflix bought the rights to their story and that is being made into a series that actually comes out literally this month. Um, I believe it's gonna premiere in the middle of this month, like right after our second part of our episode. So we're really, really excited to get to touch on this story. Basically what happened And this couple bought their dream home in Westfield, New Jersey, right outside of New York City. And immediately, within like two days of closing, they hadn't even moved in yet, they started receiving these really creepy letters from an anonymous stalker who signed them just the watcher. And the letters are terrifying, but that's not all there is to the story. I mean, I think the scariest part is the fact that they never identified the watcher, which isn't much of a spoiler. I feel like anybody who's heard about it knows that. Um, But there's a different layer of of the story that's about how it affected the the homeowners and how the community reacted to their situation. And that's almost scarier than the letters themselves, because it just makes you look at, you know, human nature and the way we treat each other and, uh, you know just, it really makes you think. So I'm so excited to be getting to the story. So the first part, um, our first episode on it will come out on October 5th, and we're going to be talking about just straight to the point, the story. We We go through all the letters, we go through the suspects, and kind of like I said, what happens to the homeowners after they receive these letters and how the community responds. And then in the second part, which will be out the following week on October 12th, we get to go through all the suspects with a um, psychology professor it's Professor Casey Lytle and he just it was so amazing to get to hear his perspective on the letters specific lines in the letters and what that indicates about who could have possibly been you know the author Um, and I'm really excited for people to hear that and everything that he brought to the table because he really was like taking you know, a professional scientific approach to this, whereas Hadley and I were just speculating when it was the two of us.
1: I'm just thinking about what you said, the watcher, person, letter, writer, author, dude, I'm sure it's a guy, uh, is still not identified. That's a bit scary.
2: Right? Um, and, and, of course, we get into that and we talk about, um, we, we asked that professor, like, do you think that, they ever will be identified. I'm not going to spoil the answer because I want okay. everybody to tune in and get like the full effect of our, yes. our discussion with him. But it's really something to think about,
1: right? Very much. I'm still thinking about it <laughs> right now. Oh <laughs> yeah. so my God, I hope he's nowhere near where. Well, anyway, uh, so, okay. So that's October 5th. And then part two is October 12th. And then of course, Netflix, as you said, is going to have a, a whole big series, um, behind this so i am going to tune into all of it uh, what better way to uh to get the full story here so when you ladies when you when you and your crew you go and explore these mansions and homes are you nervous about walking around in there even though you're with the crew or or what
2: So we actually don't go to the houses, and honestly, I think I'd prefer, I mean, like, there's part of me that's like, oh, that would be such a fun show to watch. Like, there's so much to these houses, and that's visual, and you kind of need to see, and I'm sure even little tiny things that would go on there if we were walking through would be fun to watch, even if it's not actually something supernatural, but for my own mental health, (laughs) I... I'm like glad that right now we just are researching them from afar and talking about them, you know, in the podcast format, because I do think that they're, it would affect your energy, right? To constantly be going in and out of these homes. So
1: definitely affect your energy. Well, now, um, so far of the homes that you ladies have profiled, which one or two or more do you think really are the most haunted, based upon your research and talking to people that are connected to these homes.
2: You know, it's interesting and how and like bring this question up a lot is that can you be more susceptible to a haunting if, you know, you're more open-minded about that stuff or whatever, and I'm still kind of juries out on that, but there are some houses where it just seems like this, you know, like I said, some of them will have a true crime element to it and so half of the episode we're sort of talking about what went down there and there might be you know three four five anecdotes that we hear that we tell about something maybe paranormal happening there but then you get the one one in a while once in a while you get a house that's like every single story from start to finish is just about nonstop paranormal activity happening there so those are the ones that have always stood out to me. And I mentioned the, the last house we did in our first season, the S.K. Pierce Mansion in Gardner, Massachusetts. That was one of those episodes where even if there were a true crime element or some, something that happened at the house, there wasn't enough time to go into it because there were so many accounts of weird supernatural things happening that I was like, we gotta you know, keep going through because there's just so much to get into.
1: Now, so far, out of all the homes that you ladies have explored and, and um, talked about, which one in particular has, that just really sticks in your mind, that has the most wild, bizarre, scariest paranormal activity going on?
2: Um, I, I think the Pierce mentioned Pierce Mansion just had so many stories that that one stood out to me. But we have a couple episodes coming up. Um, I chose two houses this year to focus on that were tied back to Ed and Lorraine Warren. So anybody who is either into horror movies or sort of into the occult and and paranormal activity and things like that, they've probably heard of them. They were a really famous um, husband and wife paranormal investigative team. And they worked on really famous cases, most notably Amityville Horror case, Um, but also the house that inspired The Conjuring and another house that I think is a little bit Lesser known, it, it happened in um, the 80s. It's called Smurl House. So I have two episodes coming out at the end of this year. One that will focus on Smurl House, and then one that will also focus on um, the house that inspired The Conjuring. That's in Rhode Island. And those are two more stories where there's no crime. There's no, you know, there's no reason. Nothing happened at these houses. They didn't have a reputation prior to. You know, a family moves in and just just experiencing nonstop paranormal activity. So those are the ones that I get excited to tell um, because the, the stories are so outrageous of oh, the things that happened to them
1: there. I, I don't want to spoil it, but I'm just so curious. Like, can you give us a head on, on like how outrageous what's some some incident in particular that you can tease us with?
2: Well, so one thing that I think is really the, the Smurl haunting the way it starts out for them. And I think honestly the way it starts out for anybody who's going to talk about having like a thoroughly haunted house is small things like they're working on renovations and things keep going wrong or a project that should have taken 10 minutes all of a sudden takes 10 weeks. And so they experience stuff like that. But then the very first incident where they, you know, physically saw
1: something, um, that house was really interesting for us because it was a duplex and
2: it was the first time we were covering a duplex. And so on one side of the duplex is, you know, John and Mary and on the other side are their in-laws. And so the first like real, um, account of them seeing, I guess you could call it an apparition or an entity. Um, is, you know, the wife is alone in the house in the kitchen doing some laundry and she sees this like black shadow figure And it just kind of like hovers there and then goes into her living room. And when she finally, you know, breaks out of, she's like shocked and she's kind of frozen there for a minute. But when she finally breaks out and she goes into the living room, there's nothing there. So she goes next door to her mother-in-law and she's like, I want to tell her what happened. but I don't want her to think I'm crazy. And then the mother-in-law before, you know, she can say anything comes out and is like, you're not going to believe what I just saw. And she tells her that she sees the exact same shadow figure entity move through the wall that's kind of in between their two homes
1: Goodness.
2: so I thought that was really interesting because like I said these stories can be really outrageous and it's fun for having like we enjoy all of the stuff we're very into it so it's fun for us to tear to like read the stories and then share them I know not everybody's a believer and that's totally fine and some of them are not that believable to begin with <laughs> um but this one I liked in particular because when you get something like that, where somebody else corroborates it, I find it, you know, more believable, which is just scarier.
1: Well, I have to ask you this. Have you ever yourself personally ever seen a ghost or anything paranormal long before you started hosting this show?
2: Yeah, I have. And we talk about that in our very first episode having I sort of address like, okay, where do you stand on ghosts? Like, where do you, what do you believe in? What funny, interesting paranormal stories do you have? And so I go back and tell the story of the first time, the first two times I saw um, like a full apparition when I was a kid in my childhood home, which is actually where, because of the pandemic, where I was recording the podcast from. Um, so I recommend going back to listen to those if anybody's interested to hear what happened. And, um, yeah, I, when I was a kid, I could, I I had a couple experiences where I would see what we call like a full apparition. So it looks like a person I could describe to you, like what they were wearing, how they were standing, um, all that stuff. And then from there, as I got older, I would still see ghosts, but it was no, I like didn't see apparitions anymore. I don't know if that's something that just changes with age as you get older, like like the way you would lose vision it kind of blurs Mm -hmm. um so i went from seeing full operations to typically a black or white flash and that's been happening pretty much for as long as i can remember so i have a lot of little stories like that um that i I, before the podcast i didn't really talk about because i feel like it just doesn't it doesn't come up in everyday conversation
1: no i can see that definitely not but you have the perfect show for to bring all of this out now. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, people should go back to, like you said, the, uh, the first season uh, of the show and listen to the full story to get the rest of the details about your own experiences with paranormal activity there. <sighs> okay. For sure, yeah. Okay. So now, uh, i got two more questions here. Are any of these, Houses, homes, mansions, are they available for people to go drive by and look at them and wave and do selfies or whatever, or, or are they exclusively private homes now or what?
2: Um, It's sort of a mix. There are definitely some, there's like a spectrum, right? So there are some that are actually open for tours, like the Villiscax murder house. And then there are some that I think kind of, inc- at this point, um, the house that inspired The Conjuring, I think they put on tours, but I also think the current owner is okay with, you know, sharing the story and embracing the reputation and probably wouldn't mind if somebody, you know, drove by and took a picture out front, but others are private property and they don't embrace the reputation. So it kind of just varies. We always try to make mention in the episode of, you know, if this is somewhere you could go, Um, but also, of course, wanting to respect the privacy of the ones that are you know, currently residential.
1: Do you have listeners uh, email or however contact you? Uh, Both of you, suggestions for upcoming new homes and mansions to explore or what?
2: Yeah, and that's been, we, last year we didn't, because it was a limited series, we didn't create um, any social media accounts around the show. But this year, going into the second season, we made sure to have an Instagram account set up and we've been getting, DMs all season long from listeners with, you know, links to stories or, you know, long DMs telling us their own stories. And that has been such a fun added bonus to making the show. I love reading other people's stories and also yeah, getting um, suggestions for houses to look into.
1: Well, by all means, we have to ask you, how can people send in their suggestions and stories to you ladies?
2: So you can DM us at at Dark House Podcast on Instagram. You could also DM Hadley and I. Our um, Instagrams are both just our full names. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we love reading people's reactions.
1: And finally, are there plans to explore any uh, homes and mansions in other countries?
2: I think that's definitely on the wish list for Hadley and I because there's so much history to be explored all over the world. Oh. And like the further you go from home, the creepier it gets. So (laughs) I definitely think we would like to, to be able to touch on that.
1: Oh man, I can only imagine countries like Europe and Wales. Not Europe, let's right. say Wales throughout Europe, and oh my goodness, even India. Because I'm I'm really really into ancient ancient history and castles and monuments and things of that nature. So oh man, you ladies can have a field day if you leave out of America. It's going to be really wild and fun. Totally. So anyway, again, the show is House Beautifuls dark house and your ladies are back for season two and I understand this goes all the way the new season ends in december is that correct yes okay so if anybody wants to email or direct message i should say uh some suggestions they better hurry so that you and your crew you guys can start on season three so in the meantime thank you so much Alyssa, and uh happy halloween to you
2: yeah, thank you. Happy
1: Halloween. Okay, and we'll be tuning in. I want to hear the rest of this some of these stories that you've kind of wet my appetite. I'm really wanting to be nosy now. So thank good, you. Good. Okay, take thank care. Thank you. Then. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm going down to yes, All right, that was the beautiful, melodious voice of our next guest. We saw her, the whole world saw her just a few days ago, earlier last week, on The Voice. She is uh, on Team John Legend. We're talking about Kara McKee. And oh my goodness, does she ever have a story and a journey to tell as to how she finally landed on not only The Voice, but she's on John Legend's team. And that's a, a big dream of hers because... Kara, it took her 10 years, 10 years of auditions. Um, out of those 10 years, most of those auditions were for The Voice, but I believe along the way there were a couple of other big-name television shows that she tried out for as well. But the bulk of those 10 years was her trying out for The Voice, and she has landed there. And not only that, but Kara comes from a very ambitious successful family, high achievers. Her dad is the current governor of the state of Rhode Island, Governor Daniel McKee. That's her dad and her great grand. No, I'm wrong. It is her grandmother, not her great grandmother. Her grandmother, who is 94 years old. She is a fantastic piano player, and she has been one of Kara's inspirations in her family for a lot of years. So, It's just a lot that I need to unpack to ask Kara. So without any delay, let's bring her line up. Let's begin talking with Kara about her journey as to how she finally landed on The Voice. Well, good afternoon, Miss Kara. Hi, Janice. How are you doing? I am doing outstanding. I have been... uh, just, uh, you know, watching The Voice, of course, and, and really, your story, your story is quite fascinating. As I've told many people, we have been interviewing contestants from The Voice since the very first season it, it started, and everybody, of course, has an interesting story, but yours is even more fascinating to me. Um, first, I want to say, of course, you're on Team John Legend, and that's, I don't even have words to uh, tell me how what it's like being on his team.
3: Oh my gosh! Team Legend is such a, a thrill. He, I look up to Coach John Legend, and I've been a fan of his for like over a decade. Um, he's so talented. He's so accomplished. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony Award-winning coach. It's it's a total. It's it's an education and a master class, And um, I also don't really have the words for it. It's like I feel everything at the same time. I'm just so thrilled.
1: Had you ever seen him in concert before now?
3: Um, I never no, I've never seen him live. Um okay. my parents saw him in Rhode Island last year though or two years ago and said he was fantastic. Um and I know he has a Vegas residency, so maybe I'll have to pop out and, and get some inspiration from my coach.
1: You should. And I'm here in Vegas, yeah. so you can just drop by at a station and see us too. Okay, <laughs> Oh, that would be a lot of fun. Well, now, um, one of the many reasons that I was so interested in your story, you mentioned your parents. Your dad, of course, is uh, Governor Daniel McKee, the 76th governor of Rhode Island. And people would naturally assume, uh, a lot of people, well, her dad's a governor, so she probably has these superpowers to help, her, <laughs> to help her along the way into this crazy world of entertainment. But in your case, is, is that true or not so much?
3: I think just like anybody that grows up with supportive parents that, that, you know, I count my blessings every day for such a supportive family. And my parents are the most supportive, but no, there's no, there's no connection between um, my dad's my dad's day job and this pursuit of mine for music other than just like the standard really supportive
1: dad oh that is so sweet though that's really cool <laughs> well now your journey to get on the voice on the voice has not been an easy one i understand that you auditioned for 10 years i mean was that 10 year? time span was that auditioning specifically for the voice or for other big tv talented talent shows i should say
3: yeah that's so true so um but i the voice was my focus i really enjoy the show because when you watch the show it gives you like makes you feel good they really pump up the contestants and shine want them to shine in the best light as compared to other tv shows that may thrive on, you know, drama or, um, or not necessarily focus on talent the whole time. The voice really does. So I really love that about this show, the voice. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think I did an audition for American Idol at one point too, but, um, that, that was just a one-time thing and the experience of auditioning was totally different. And I did enjoy the, the process of auditioning for the voice. And I, I, um, I studied finance in college and I spent 15 years building my corporate career, um, and we we'll can talk more about that later. But over the last 10 years or so, I was just really craving um, more attention to music, and wanting to just wake up every day and focus on music solely, with like no guilt and no other distractions. And um, with my day job being the, the my focus, it was it was hard to justify taking a week to. Um, to just pursue music without like a real ironclad reason, you know? So that was the driving force of auditioning for The Voice because it just seemed like a great opportunity if if I made it that far to just focus 100% on music and be surrounded by people who love singing and love music as much as I do, and that was the driving force. So, yeah, I auditioned like 10 times. I made it through various stages each time, so I went to those open calls pre pandemic where thousands of people show up at a stadium and wait for hours and you sing for 20 seconds and they say, okay, thanks for coming, but no, thank you. And then, but that was a fun experience anyways. And my, um, like, I traveled a little bit for that too, just for the fun of it. My brother and I went to Nashville for an open call, I waited, I sang 20 seconds, I got cut, and then we went honky-tonking. My mom drove down with me to Philadelphia one year. We went on like a hop-on, hop-off tour of Philadelphia and had a nice dinner after I, I, I didn't make the cut. So I, I've, I've been trying at this for oh, a long time.
1: <laughs> yes, I just love your, your tenacity of not giving up. And that's very encouraging for people out there to know that you just kept going, just kept going. So what do, what do you think it was about this time the audition it was uh, before we saw you on the blind auditions um what songs did did you sing to, to nail it this time
3: oh sure so um so this time around i think i do think that the songs i sang as part of my audition because there are several rounds of auditions right before you make it to um the televised part um and i think i know myself better as an artist today And I did 10 years ago, so I think that definitely helped. Um, And I also think it's a mindset thing because I had already made the decision um, about a year ago. I made a decision to resign from my job to pursue music in every opportunity that came my way. And the voice was not on my radar at that point because I had just gotten cut from the running of season 21. Um, But I decided to just go for it and chase down every musical opportunity that I could. And then it was a month after I resigned from my job that the producers reached out and asked if I would. They said they wanted to get me back in the running for season 22 and asked if if I would be interested. I said sure, I'll give it one more shot. So when they um when when they reached out, I um I was really like enjoying singing a lot of uh, Bob Dylan and Grateful Dead songs. So I I auditioned with um Bob Dylan, don't uh Buckets of Rain by Bob Dylan um i did a grateful dead song which was broke down palace and um i did have woodstock in the mix for my audition songs but the way i perform woodstock live with my guitar is more the crosby stills nash and young version and um by the time i got to the stage to audition for the the coaches i had um, worked with the band the very 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 talented band at the voice wow they're those musicians it will blow your mind and we worked um, the Crazy Sales Nash & Young version with the original Joni Mitchell version and found like a really cool blend of the two. And I wish I had shown more on TV, but I'm so proud of um, that, that arrangement that we came up with.
1: Well, it took a lot of effort, but hey, here you are. You've made it and you're on Team Legend. But I understand that you have also, prior to The Voice, that you have sang for a lot of famous people. Give us a list of some <laughs> of the people you've sang for.
3: That's true. I've had some fun experiences over the years. When I was in sixth grade, um, I went to New York to watch the Rosie a taping of the Rosie O'Donnell show with my best friend, and we ended up singing to Rosie O'Donnell. So that was kind of fun as eleven year olds. And then um, when in two thousand and eight, I was I had the opportunity to sing the national anthem for Michelle Obama, which was wonder a wonderful experience so those were those were two notable experiences
1: over the years oh my goodness i mean serenading rosie o'donnell and then national anthem for the first lady that yeah those are quite and now the voice look at you you're still at it
3: (laughs) yes it's been a fun ride who knows what happens next but you gotta you gotta enjoy each moment as it comes
1: you know Janice. oh absolutely well now um you know, as as we all know that the voice uh takes contestants as young as fifteen and up. And oh and you know, we'll just say that you are a seasoned age. You're not definitely not old for sure. You're thirty seven. I mean, that's printed. But I mean you of course you're still young, you're still beautiful and very talented obviously but was there ever you know along the way these last decade out these auditions did you ever go well you know maybe this is not going to happen maybe I should have if I could have done this one in my 20s Did those kind of thoughts ever come into mind
3: well first of all thank you for the compliments I appreciate that well it's true um and yeah it, it I don't know yes yes and no so um when it comes to the tv show And definitely there's like a small group of of people that I'm going to use your word seasoned, right? And um, (laughs) it was really lovely to get to know those um, more mature singers. But um, everybody on the show is so mind-blowingly talented. I mean, you look at somebody like Peragita Gastrola, who's 17 years old, got a four-chair turn and has so much maturity and soul in her voice. And she's just a wonderful person. And I got to know her as a 17-year-old um so in that regard like music brings everybody together in so many ways and whether you're 17 like perjita or 37 like me i mean 20 years separate us it's just i look up to her um as a singer so i'm like getting emotional thinking about that now but um i think that there's no age that it, it, it shouldn't matter right because if if you chase the dream today You chase the dream today, and the only thing that is different is if in 10 years from now, you chase the dream in 10 years from now, the only thing that's different is that you're 10 years older. So I don't think there's anything such thing as too late, and it was um, a a pretty big leave of faith at 36 years old to leave a career that I had spent 15 years building um, in the hopes of pursuing music in a more meaningful way and i'm one year into a fully dedicated life towards music so i'm very early on in my music career when you look at it that way um so yeah i think that it's it's never too late and the music is such a wonderful unifier and um it doesn't matter whether whether you're 17 or 37 or 87 i hope to still be making music when i'm 97 you know Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I understand that your grandmother is also uh, a musician. She plays piano, is it? Yes,
3: my grandmother is
1: 94 and she's a wonderful piano
3: player. Oh, gosh. Yes.
1: Oh, wow. Now that's an inspiration all within itself right there. Well, I have two last questions here. Watching The Voice all these years in your living room or wherever you are and then now actually performing, is it more challenging once you are there on the stage, is it everything you thought it would be or is it more overwhelming when you're there? Cameras, the millions of people, what what is that? <laughs> what is that like that you're actually doing it?
3: The experience is the thrill of the lifetime and way overwhelming. And uh, the, the cameras are one thing, like that was something that was way out of my comfort zone. But the other thing that really struck me is that the talent on this season is mind blowing. And I feel very comfortable with what I can do as a vocalist. Like it's, I have this compact range and I like to sing stories that I believe in and lyrics that I believe in and tell you a story. And so that's how I feel like that's my comfort zone as a singer. Um, and every single person on the show can do that. And they have an extra two actives on me and can do all the runs and they all write their own songs as well and play instruments. So I think that aspect, really, I, I was expecting to be surrounded by magnificent singers, and it really blew my mind, the talent. Um, so the the experience out there was really, like, trying to focus on just staying true to myself um, and not try to be anybody else. Because, like you said, you know, I'm a seasoned singer at 37. Um, it, it, you can be knocked knocked off your beam a little bit by, like, just being, I was a, a genuine fan of of all the other people on the show. So just like not trying to be anybody else, just be myself.
1: Well, you of course will be back in action with the rest of uh, your cast mates, members, contestants on Monday night, the 10th. What are you going to do over the weekend? Tell us what are your weekend plans?
3: Oh, I'm so happy you asked. Well, this weekend I'll be up in, um, in Harvard square, uh, just outside of Boston in Cambridge. Um, Another castmate, Kara Brindisi, she's on Team Gwen. She lives 45 minutes away from us, from me, and we've been working on a set together. So we're playing a show together in Harvard Square um, as part of their Oktoberfest. And that's um, a stage sponsored by Club Passim, which is a wonderful listening room, historic, like Bob Dylan, Joan Baez sang at Club Passim in the 60s. And it's my a home base for my family band. we love singing at Club Passy and so we'll be playing their um their stage in Harvard Square this weekend. And uh-huh. I'm going to be doing a duo set with Kara Brindisi from Team One, which we're uh-huh. really excited about.
1: That's really cool that uh former you know contestants are working together and oh, yeah. friendship, bondship, music, musicianship, I'm trying to say here. So uh yeah. how can people say hello? How can people just find you? What do they need to do? The best.
3: The best way to contact me, I hope everybody listening has an Instagram account. That's uh, Social media is so overwhelming, so I've been focusing just on one spot. Um, Instagram, so find me um, by looking up Kara McKee, K A R A M C K E E. My um, Instagram handle is Ramble on Rosemere, which is an um, ode to my family band, Rosemere Road, R O S E M E R E Road. That's the name of the street that our parents raised our uh, my grandmother raised our parents on Um, and the Instagram is really where I'm posting all the behind the scenes stuff from the show and um, anticipation for the battle rounds and where I will be continuing to post about my music endeavors.
1: Excellent. Well, Kara, you have been such a delight. As I said, when I saw your story, I said, oh yeah, this is a good, inspiring, motivational story for our listeners. And you were such a delight, such a talented young lady. Thank you so much for chatting with me and we'll see what happens. See you in action on Monday night on The Voice. Thank, thank
3: you so much,
1: Janice. Okay. And have fun this weekend in Boston. Okay.
3: Thank you. Okay.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Kara. What an amazing and incredible story. Do you have that type of perseverance 10 years? Oh, man. It's something to think about. But if you believe in your dream, if you really believe in your dream the way she did, it can happen. But you've got to put a lot of hard work, of course, behind it. So listen, we are out of time here. want to thank all three of our guests. Of course, Kara McKee from The Voice. Make sure you watch her in action in the next episode of The Voice. I believe it's Monday night. Uh, Alyssa Fiorentino, one of the co-hosts of House Beautiful's Dark House podcast. they got a lot coming up there. And also So, New York Times bestselling author Adam Silvera and his new book, The First to Die at the End. What a diverse group we had this weekend. And as always, we want to thank you guys for listening to the show. And we'll see you next weekend, next Saturday, on another edition of Film Festival Radio Show. Have a great rest of the weekend. We'll see you next Saturday. Bye-bye.